0: All right, Em, what's going on?
1: I'm good. I'm happy to be here. I've been a fan for a long time.
0: Yeah, and I've been a Twitter fan. You're always like posting interesting Gen Z research stuff, creator stuff, and then also just what's on your mind. And I feel like Twitter has become a very cookie cutter place recently. And I wanted to bring you on the show just to to crawl inside your brain and see what you're thinking is in store for 2023 Before we get into it tell tell people what you do and and what what is night media
1: Sure. So I work at a fund called Night Ventures, which is out of a media company or creator management company called Night Media. And the way that it works now is I mean, there's a whole backstory to it, but essentially, it is a company that manages a bunch of really high profile creators. And essentially, uh, around a year ish or so ago, there was this big creator economy boom. And a lot of creators that were on the talent roster were offered kind of the opportunity to invest in syndicates, sometimes as angel checks, sometimes as full-on VCs. And Reed, who's one of the GPs, but also the CEO of the entire company, was like, I'm sure we could actually build out a proper structure for this and figure out what's the deal taste of these individual creators. But then also, you know, we don't want to necessarily go into the whole financial advisement kind of thing. So... Let's just find someone who really knows how to do this full time. So, ended up talking to Ben Matthews, who is another uh, GP at the fund, and he was at Besmer for the for a number of years. And for a long time, he was really interested in what we now co creator go to market, and that looks like anything that's actually effective marketing and everything that's not paid ads. Um, and kind of what he had seen a couple of years ago was that the future was going more towards creator as being a part of product as creation, but then also as a point of distribution. So he was super interested in general in the creator space and they kind of all partnered together, brought in also as a GP, uh, the president of Knight Media, who was also CEO of Fullscreen and Teeth, a number of other different kinds of media companies. And those are the three GPs and I work under these three guys and it is a wonderful experience. Um, so basically what we invest in is a bunch of different consumer companies. So that could be, consumer healthcare could be education, could be uh, real estate, could be more on the fun, um, you know, general consumer CPG side. Uh, But we're really trying to figure out, one, what's the best use in creators in the VC ecosystem? Is that them being angel investors? Is that them being GPs, being LPs? Or is that um, kind of just a point of research where we can get closer to them, better understand their communities and what they need, and then invest off of that? Uh, criteria.
0: Cool. And then, you know, I'm just on your website, Night Ventures. It says RLPs are some of the most famous people on the internet. They right. drive popular culture to billions of consumers across YouTube, TikTok, Twitch, podcasts, and elsewhere. Mm-hmm. So that's another piece of it. It looks like so there are you know you have some of the biggest creators in the world invested in the fun, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So basically, the structure of Night Media and definitely Night Ventures is that the creators are our bosses. So we basically hear everything about culture, about society, about what people actually want and invest off of those frameworks. So um, 50, around 50 percentage or so of our LPs are creators. They're some of the most famous people on the internet. And they're people who are in our creator roster, but then people who are also within the ecosystem who kind of have like a different niche um, that maybe we couldn't have found in our roster or people who have just expressed interest to read or Ezra or Ben before that they wanted to be involved in the kind of VC space, but not necessarily as a full GP yet.
0: Yeah. So what I find really interesting about Night Media and Night Ventures is we recently did an episode around product studios. Oh, yeah. And how product studios are like the future of startups. You know, this idea around, you know, how do you partner with creators on launching startups? How do you launch multiple a year? How do you, you know, bootstrap them? And what I like about what you're doing is either on the investment side or on the incubation side, you're kind of looking at it like, hey, um, I want to launch this product, but this product makes a lot more sense with XYZ creator. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, Here's
1: here's the fun thing. And this is where I think that's kind of the original framework, but I think the fun extension now, because Knight um, is open to incubating with creators that are in our kind of talent roster, but the people who are not also is we find a lot of creators come to the studio and are like, hey, I'm known now for this product. And we feel weird kind of keeping referring people to different products with ingredients I don't know. Maybe they have morals that I don't necessarily agree with. And I don't necessarily have the experience in making a full-on company. I also don't have the money right now to front that. Um, what's the best kind of course of action. And that could be raising venture money after they incubate the entire project or not. Um, But what's cool about kind of the different suites of night is that you can really start from incubating really your community and continuing what your career could be and really validating what that community likes and wants. Then you also could be going into creating that product or company and then you can really scale it out to the mass audience. Um, So you're really kind of encapsulating what you want to be known for um, and what you want to make. And also this, you know, creator has a majority of ownership. Here's a hot take from me. I find that there are a lot of, um,
0: Here we English- go. Hot take number we one. Know.
1: We're like two minutes in and yeah. I just decided to just let it ride. Uh, let it ride. I but I will admit I'm not fully on the studio side. That's more of one of the partners, Ben. Um, and also we hired out a bunch of people who have backgrounds in, in more of the incubation and product side. But I do see a lot of it. So,
0: by the uh, way, a fun fact on there. Just to interrupt. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I have a fun night media story, which is Ben actually called me and said one of the companies needed help fleshing out their product. Ooh. Um, so we worked with Rare Candy. Oh, love. Um, and yeah, which is for those of you who don't know, they're they're launching soon, but they're basically a live auction like breaking of pokemon cards and they paired with pokemon youtuber one of the biggest in the space and we helped them sort of like flesh out their product so that's my night media story yeah and you got to
1: work with ben did you get yeah
0: there you go i got to work with ben yeah ben ben was my boss for a minute but it goes to show you right it goes it's like ben is working for that group right ben Mm -hmm. is like okay you need help with product you know, you might not have the internal resources. I'm going to call like the best product people I can find. I'm going to connect you with them. Boom. So that's like a bit of the value add for the totally. Fun, but, yeah.
1: So a lot of his background is in traditional VC, but I think that that is like one of the actual redeeming qualities of the big VC mindset is that there are probably four, at least it used to be, that there are like 400 people that know how to do this better than I do. So i will just go find those people and bring them to you. Um, But traditionally, it's what used to be. It's like that way at at Night Ventures and and throughout Night Media.
0: Okay, Anne, let's get into it. Hot take number one.
1: Okay, so my main interest going into the creator space was really to be around people who have more attention and trust with consumers than I ever could, or any of the founders that I was working with ever could. And I think with that, there are a lot of individual people who approach these creators and celebrities with the pitch that they want to create these companies for them. I am definitely not the right person necessarily, and I to be talking about this, but it's something that I care about because I need a lot of these creators who have really good intentions, who care a lot about their communities. But there are a lot of individuals out there who want to start these brands with creators and they will help them up to launch, not necessarily with a high um, interest in product quality or how to make it sustainable. But for me, most importantly... Um, not necessarily with the accurate funding to make it be sustainable and grow as a business. And I think that's one of the hardest things. I've worked at a couple of different consumer funds before this. In kind of growing and launching and scaling, specifically CPG businesses, is so hard and capital intensive that I think it's sometimes a really unfair uh, misunderstanding with creators is that this is something you can just launch and necessarily passively have on the side unless you're doing more of a drop shipping thing. But I'm finding a lot of creators want to do more custom projects, and that's wonderful. Um, but one of my hot takes is to go to a actual product studio um, and don't necessarily work with just one one-off individual who just so happened to do a drop shipping business for a number of years. Not to say that that's not very reputable, but if you're doing a custom product that needs to be sustained as an accurate business, enough where you're taking attention and time off of what your actual day job is, which is creating content and and cultivating this community, you should be doing it with someone who is going to kind of have long-term domain ownership on how to scale that business. And also who might be financially invested in it. Because I think that that is sometimes a miss. I'll see some really good companies kind of start off strong and then die off. um, And they'll, the creators will kind of take it personally. And I hate that. But I think that that's a conversation that has to be had, especially in the creator CPG kind of industry, is that these businesses are actually very expensive to start up and sustain as businesses. Um, And if you rely solely on your individual community and your individual uh, persona, one, you could take it personally if it doesn't necessarily pop off the way you want for it to. And then two, it's a missed opportunity to collab with other communities that are similar to yours, other creators that are similar to yours. Um, If you just look at Skims, probably the most famous one, She's just totally removed herself from most of the, of the PR and campaign um, ad work. She's now spotlighting people from different cultures who have better reputation than she does or different kinds of communities, um, different age groups. And I think that's kind of the goal, especially if you go the CPG route, um, is to try to partner yourself with other creators who are just as excited about staking themselves into your business. And yeah, that's my hot take is that it's really so- hard.
0: <laughs> it's, so, yeah, it's really hard. That's one thing you're saying. But you're also saying like maybe it makes sense to sort of have like a collective of creators versus yeah. just one, right?
1: Oh, yeah. That's something that you're definitely going to see coming up in the next year is, is creators themselves um, creating kind of like their co-founder relationships and then finding an operator to be a third co-founder.
0: I also think one of the reasons why that's really important, and I'm curious your perspective on this, is communities get fatigued with product offerings often, right? So if you're, you know, Logan Paul and you're just like pumping Prime every like third word of your, you know, the Prime drink, uh, every third word of your YouTube videos, the audience might get a little like, stop selling, right? So the beauty about the collective is you're spreading out that sell among Mm -hmm. multiple creators.
1: I want to see research, or I can kind of participate in that, in community exhaustion, how, so all these brands have this community strategy and it's wonderful, but how many, how many communities can an individual be a part of until the previous one drops off? It's now kind of out there that I used to be a One Direction fangirl. I had the toothbrushes. I had the, you know, the white strips. I had the bedspread. I had everything. For what Um, it's
0: worth, I did not know that. And this conversation, this conversation (laughs) is over. (laughs)
1: No, but I I kind of had that affinity with that um with that community for a really long time,
0: yeah.
1: Um, but as I literally just experienced more of life, I just cared less, and I think that that's really simple. Like when you say it out loud, but it's kind of hard to remember when you have really high engagement community strategies within companies that just because you have them for the first year or so, it doesn't mean they're going to stay for life. With that being said, you know. We're at a moment with creators where they have the ability to market themselves. I will say also specifically men are a little yeah. bit a little easier for them to market themselves as the entrepreneur and I'm doing my hustle and this is the way that it works. Um, but also women have been doing this for many, yeah. many years. Um, and kind of when they would post these different products, regardless of whatever they are, if they're a lot of them necessarily probably weren't the healthiest, but that goes back to kind of the ability to front capital and, and the ability to kind of create these businesses from scratch with a large amount of ownership. But that was kind of considered to be the sellout. But I think we're at the moment where this is the right time for creators going into 2023 to kind of lean into this entrepreneurship leg um, and show the work that they're doing behind the scenes, which you see a lot of creators doing. Maybe not on their individual channels, but they'll go on other channels and show their production studios. They'll show the production work of of the product that they're doing. um, And that is a way for them to quietly do the side hustle thing. But it is very, very tricky.
0: I have two thoughts, two thoughts on that. On the how many communities could a person possibly be a part of? Yes. I believe that number is five. Ooh. And it relates to the Dunbar number. Are you, are you familiar yeah. with the Dunbar number? Oh, that's number?
1: exactly where I'm getting it from. Yeah.
0: yeah. So for those of you who don't know, Dunbar number 150. It's the amount of people that uh, someone could possibly – basically be friends with, uh, you know, more than 150, like you can't possibly be friends with 500, 700 people. Um, so, Dunmar, it, you know, I think he was a social scientist. He basically came up with this number and he said, this is the amount people could, could actually be connected with. Mm-hmm. Uh, the five number, I call it the Eisenberg number. There you, you know, go. I've waiting for
1: this. Yeah, you've been
0: waiting. Of course. For yeah, for we- <laughs> of course. <laughs> and I believe that, you know, we exhaust after five, um, mm. For some people it 's actually three I think it 's in the three to five range but it 's basically you can 't be a die hard fan slash the biggest part of it is your identity like you can 't have the identity of a one direction fan and the identity of a Jonas Brothers fan and an identity of x y z fan because it it then then your identity becomes muddled, and mm-hmm. when your identity becomes muddled that 's when it everything breaks mm-hmm. so that 's why I think that number is five so that 's my okay eisenberg number piece i really like the insight that you have around how the creators showcase how the sausage is made mm-hmm. around the products that they're building and there's a brand we actually brought the founder uh, on the show called midday squares which basically is this like clean chocolate bar and when you pick up like i just bought their chocolate bar in whole foods yesterday and like the back of the chocolate bar there's literally like the pictures of the founders. You go to their instagram they've got like a hundred thousand followers, and they're talking about their journey. Here's how we raise money, here's how we do this. They have this like Willy Wonka style chocolate factory, and they're just like literally showing how the sausage is made and I think with creators, especially bigger creators, like the Logan Pauls of the world, like mm-hmm. I don't just care that you're selling me prime water or whatever. I want to be Deeper connected to this story. Totally. And I think that's the opportunity in 2023 for creators. You know, I grew up in the 90s and 2000s. You know, to me, celebrities were people I saw on TV and movies. Could you talk about this new, this next generation of creators and how do you see creators deeply connecting with younger audiences?
1: So, this is going to be my hot take number three, and I'll just throw it to the to the future for a minute, but I I still think that the definition of creator is changing in the next year or two, um, only because there are so many people that now understand the value of attention, even more so than money. I think they get oh, I'm going to go buy this thing and support this person, and that's kind of the concept now. But that's been that way even with like Backstreet Boys and Sync back in the '90s, but. Now it's more when I give my attention and my time, when I talk about other people, younger individuals are more conscious that they're doing that when they spend time consuming this content, that they're doing it for the benefit mostly of the creator. Even if they're not super excited about whatever the thumbnail is, um, they will continue to watch this content because they like the person. Um, And that's kind of the switch, I think, back from... Uh, a number of years ago to now is that there is a stronger affinity with the individual. I mean, this goes kind of back to the night thesis of institution to brand to individual as kind of like that power shift throughout the past 50 years. But mostly now you'll see younger individuals, wh- what they call grow up with a person and they feel a sense of nostalgia if you're like me or you're, you know, around your early 20s. And you kind of grew up mostly on the internet. Now, if I see someone that I used to watch around eight years ago, I probably will have a stint where I'll watch them for a couple more years. And if they launch a company, maybe I'll buy it. Or maybe at least I'll talk about it. Um, But really younger people right now are conscious that content creation is a job. They know that these people are mostly doing their job. But they like the job that people are doing. And they like the people um, that are doing the job.
0: Are they there more from... Because you said something really interesting, which is they just like the person. Yeah.
1: Are yeah, they, yeah. Are, they
0: are, are they consuming the content more for the topic or the person?
1: It depends on who you talk to. But I'll make a very strong generalization where it's about the person. I'll say probably Mr. Beast is one of the most impressive content creators on the planet right now. Um, when you mostly talk to the younger people that are fans of his, they are obsessed with him as a person almost as much as his content, um, but a little bit more of him as a person, as, a, as someone who's made it as a creator, as someone who's incredibly generous, as someone who's very real and open. Um, and I would kind of argue on the, the other swing of the pendulum being someone like Emma Chamberlain, who kind of has created lifestyle content forever. So it's a little bit more natural to kind of fall in love with her as an individual person because she's really just doing her own individual thing. Um, but kind of it's the, the idea of the person, the idea of the authenticity, the idea of someone who's been incredibly successful but still humble. Those are kind of age-old tales that have been going throughout celebrity PR and community engagement for a number of years. But now it's really boiled down to what we would now consider be everyday people. And what's really interesting is when these individuals get so much attention, now you're really swaying of influence in between. So the creator status and celebrity status and those two people are kind of the creators that come to mind, but really they are celebrities at this point. They go to red carpets, they get PR packages, they're brought into these mainstream conversations as people who have expertise in kind of influence and creating content and really anything. I mean, it could really be anything now. Um, but I think what's, what's cool about younger kids is that they, are, they have seen a lot of creators fail. They've seen a lot of mistakes you kind of had that cancellation, I would call it like the dark period of beauty at the end of the 2010s where you had all these different creators, what you'd call quote unquote canceled for either quality of product or things that they've said or things that they've done or people that they've worked with. And I think that that's made a lot of these new creators hyper-conscious of kind of both their business decisions, but also kind of how they handle their lives as almost like celebrities. They know that they have attention and that it can be brought to them at any point. And that's really different from the way that people used to create back in the early 2000s, early 2010s. But I think the way that younger people are consuming um, now, at least the younger way, if I would say like Gen Alpha or kind of younger Gen Z people have heard of the stories, but they didn't really feel the emotional push and pull of being in a community that had a lot of really strong division. So they're a little bit more open to the person and the personality and learning about their mistakes and things that they've grown about. They're more open to the actual person than I think kind of more of the older Gen Z generations like
0: A lot of people ask me, Greg, how do you build products that foster community? Well, I've got good news. That's exactly what Late Checkout does, my company. We partner with the largest brands in the world and fast-paced startups to design products that resonate with your community. We add a couple interesting clients every single year. So if you're interested and that sounds like you, email frontdesk at latecheckout.studio with what you're working on, what you need help with, and don't forget to mention the Where It Happens pod. Thank you. Do you have any examples of, you know, not mega creator celebrities like Mr. Beast, but are like, smaller up-and-coming creators that you look to them and you're like, wow, this this person Mm -hmm. is an example of where creators are going to go in 2023 and beyond? Absolutely.
1: Um, There is this one kid named, well, he's not a kid, he's a grown man, but he's this one guy who's a friend of mine and I love him. His name is Marcus Malone and he runs this brand called Minted and it's out of New York. Um, And his creation story is mostly on the, he makes a lot of content about fashion and lifestyle is more of like a big brother persona he's very much so on the up so first it was more for his fashion and taste but now that he's made a clothing company his focus is mostly on quality and i think that that is really hard to do is to get your audience to trust you enough that you're going to produce something really good in quality and the craziest thing is that and I love him and I, I love you Marcus, don't get mad at me, but he's, a, he's, he's pretty slow to put out products. And even when he hears from his audience that he wants to see changes in, in whatever the product is, he's very slow to push it out. And I've never seen anyone be able to kind of hold back an audience enough where they know that if they wait long enough, the products is even going to get like better with time. And I think that that is an example of where I see creators going is he really knows how to get the trust of an audience and to make them kind of wait for it until it's really good? And I, I've just never seen another creator do that before. I think it's cool. Do you,
0: okay, so I, I just I'm just on this guy's Instagram at Marcus Malone M I L O N E. The guy is like also like a really good looking guy, you know. Um, <laughs> do you have to be good looking to be a top creator?
1: you know, actually, I love this question. There are different kinds of mediums that will cater to whatever you feel like you're good at. As an example, just for myself, I am still a younger girl and I am kind of going, I'm not a younger girl, I'm 23. That is such a meme. Um, I'm a grown woman, but I think I'm a little bit less comfortable necessarily being on camera as people would think that I am. And it's mostly because I still have... Kind of some insecurities, and I don't exactly know how to tackle that yet. So I really decided to put all my energy onto Twitter, where you really only see one photo and you just think about my thoughts and you interact with me as a person and you get to know my personality. And I think that is really the medium that I feel the most comfortable with. And I think when it comes down to personality or attractiveness, you're really going to succeed wherever you feel the most comfortable. You'll maybe see a lot of creators who have amazing aesthetics and never show their faces. There are so many UGC creators who know how to create homes and create environments, create food, but you never see their faces. And that's because they are more comfortable creating those visual aesthetics than other people. Does it help? Yeah.
0: <laughs> with, uh, with Marcus, like, you know, we have thousands of people listening who are probably checking out this guy's Instagram and checking out his right. website. Yeah. And seeing a lot of engagement. hmm I would call him like a micro influencer. Like I don't know, he's seventy-two thousand followers on Instagram, but it seems like he probably is selling millions of dollars worth of stuff. I just pulled up Marcus's TikTok. He's he's got three hundred and forty-six thousand followers exactly. on TikTok. He's got 10, 10 million likes, and his average engagement rate, which is I I have I use a, a tool called VidIQ. It's a Chrome ex- extension okay. to figure that out. Um, is eight percent. So it's, you know, the engagement rate is a great indicator of the performance of a video. It is calculated using the number of likes, comments, and shares and views. So an 8% engagement rate is, is really high. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's got a really engaged audience. His playbook, just looking, like if I were to analyze it, is build a lot of attention on TikTok. Bring those people to Instagram. Nurture them on Instagram. Through uh, If you go to his website, it's like basically an email list. When he has mm-hmm. sales, he posts it. Posts it We're recording right now between Christmas and New Year's and he's just like I'm off I'll send you an email basically like if you go to his website it's basically like happy holidays we'll be in touch put your email (laughs) down which is like pretty legendary I think in your case you have a similar approach in some you know you don't have a product that you're selling really although you could argue that Night Ventures is the product that you're selling but you're generating attention on Twitter and then you're trying to convert that attention. So I think Twitter, TikTok, LinkedIn are great platforms to build attention. And then you want to figure out, like the framework for thinking about it is like, how do you build attention? Where are you building attention? Where are you nurturing that attention? And then how are you monetizing that nurtured attention?
1: Totally, totally. And I will say that's the scariest moment for anybody who has any kind of attention is what is the next platform that I actually want to push my audience onto because it could work really well. It could work terribly. And I think it's fully dependent on if your audience is open to new forms of media. And it also, if I mean, like if your audience is mostly 50 something year old, you know, individuals who don't just have TikTok on their phone, like you say, hey, open Tik the TikTok, they're not going to care. Um, <laughs> it's kind of similarly to, If a majority of your audience, and I think a lot of my audience mostly is uh, people who are in tech at this point, uh, it used to be mostly younger women who were in tech, but now I just have a general audience um, just reflective of the platform itself, which is a reminder to everyone, Twitter, last I checked, was around 70% men and typically a little bit um, on the younger side. And I'm very happy to engage with that audience, but I don't exactly know what they want. Because if I were to just stick with my original audience, which was mostly younger women, then it's a lot easier to kind of bring them on to TikTok because I know that they're spending most of their time there. Um, But I had a really interesting conversation with a friend of mine. And her name is Gabby Goldberg, and she's an investor at TCG. I've been a fan of her for such a long time. And I'm super fortunate that we've been able to become friends over the years because she was really creating like the creator personal essays and curation essays uh, back two and a half years ago that I – actually found super engaging. And I I really think we're kind of the more professional narratives that I identified more going into this job. So she and I were kind of talking about what kinds of content she wants to create on TikTok, And she decided to, she said to kill me for saying it's on the podcast, but she has a running TikTok, Um And I was asking her a number of questions on why she decided to not just go the full uh, crypto route, because I know that she loves it a lot. She talks about it a lot and kind of her, thought process behind that was like just based off the algorithm itself it depends on what you're consuming it will that that will directly reflect on how your content is doing putting it out there so if i mostly consume and, that, and that's so real like if i'm consuming mostly lifestyle content all day and i sit there and i'm like i'm gonna create a venture capital tiktok it's just not gonna really do as well just depending on the algorithm kind of holds you accountable that The communities that you're engaged with throughout the entire day, um, that's kind of what's going to make it happy or not, which is also kind of how uh, Twitter works. But in terms of that decision on I have attention and how do I hold it, I think it's really scary kind of for someone who doesn't really identify as like a full-time creator because it's like, do I make a blog? Like, I don't know, maybe like traditional really great PCs used to make blogs and now if I kind of sit on there and I start making TikToks, it's like, yeah, I can do another attention-grabbing thing and maybe it can kind of solidify a new kind of community.
0: Should everyone be a part-time creator? Like, should Do you recommend everyone yeah. start being a part-time creator in, in 23 and then see if they can gain some traction, get some love, and and then maybe they like it so much they become full-time?
1: I would say to try it. I think everyone should try it, just from friends of mine, from just experience with them, you kind of need like five people who are going to say, hey, I will like your stuff, even if it flops. Um, As long as you can find five people who will like your stuff, it'll make creating content a lot easier because at least it it will become kind of a joke between you and your friends if it goes terribly. But I think the pros are so, so intense if if you learn how to do it well. As an example for my specific job, as a VC, I make sure that I'm able to kind of get in contact with anyone that would be on Twitter within two days. Um, And I've just figured out who knows what and who knows where and all that kinds of stuff. So I can basically promise my bosses I can get anyone on the phone in two days. And my advancement as a creator is just getting that that time lower. So it really depends on what kind of job you want. Um, And also what I'm really interested in is when people are tired of it and they get burnt out and I really don't want to do it anymore. um, How do you shut it all down and still kind of maintain the other part of your business? Right. Um,
0: Once you become a creator part-time or full-time, you essentially are on this treadmill, whether you like it or not. And it's just depends on, are you at 7.0? Like, are you running as fast as you can and you're just running, 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 AKA full-time creator, AKA Mr. Beast of the world. Um, that level, or are you tweeting once a week? But it's crucial for your job to con- continue to tweet once a week.
1: Oh yeah, it's been it's been really helpful. Even if you saw on this past week, I was doing a roadmap on consumer cybersecurity and what are the companies that can assure people that when they get their account hacked, they can get them back um, and kind of monitor kind of brand amongst different platforms, make sure people aren't a person to you. Those are companies that right now I'm really interested in looking at. But I know, I mean, this is really bad, but I, I've known almost nothing about cybersecurity. Um, so I just started aggressively tweeting for the past week. Someone get on the phone with me that knows way more than I do. And if I weren't to have a Twitter and I were just to sit here, I would have to call up friend's Manually and say, who do you know? Can you email? Or can you? And that's just so old. Like I, <laughs> I've had access to like seven people who've spent hours with me, and very, very fortunate to do that, so I can be able to do my job right.
0: My hot I- take on you know being a professional creator part time or mm-hmm. professional meaning like a B, you know, we're in like the B two B world. Is it is the highest leverage thing you can do with your time? Like think of all the time we spend like flying to LA or New York or these different places and going to like meetups and like going for dinner with this person or going for drinks with that person or going for lunch with, you know, these people, like if you can actually like in 2023, remove like 90% of those like discovery type meetings Mm -hmm. and replace that with like, I'm going to go heads down, create content and see what kind of opportunities I attract that way. I think it's such a good use of time because you can, you know, go, go from zero. Like I went from zero to 300,000 followers basically in two years and it completely changed my life where I could sit from, you know, I have a house in the middle of nowhere in Canada, you know, in the forest, in the mountains, I can just like sit from there, hop on a conversation via this podcast or on Twitter Mm -hmm. and be having incredible conversations that can really move my business forward. My hot take is going to be not only should you like minimize those discovery meetings as much as possible, IRL, Mm -hmm. but every person in business should spend some amount of time as a part time creator.
1: I also think that, especially if you're going into a consumer facing business, whether it's kind of like a traditional smaller business or within startups in general consumer experience is the most important thing to focus on (laughs) that I've observed. And I think that the creator mindset and mentality will be baked into every single product that a person can kind of identify with. And I know that I mentioned this before, but I really, really, really think that creator is just a new way of looking at consumer in general. And the idea that someone can experience your product and experience your brand while also being a click away from immediately engaging with your direct competitors is a new way of creating product and running a business. And that's something that I know feels super new to us, but um, wasn't really the case 15 years ago. And the only people that you really had to fight against was someone um, on a store shelf, or just the right salesperson to really nail a deal. Um, but now people have access to so many different choices in the world. I think it gives, especially a founder, or really any operator, or really anybody, a competitive edge to not only have their own community that, that they can learn from, um, but also kind of just better understand where you are in that flywheel. I just think that creator and consumer are essentially going to become the same thing It really is how open are you to your customers sharing their experiences with your product and with you as a person. And that is going to give someone either the biggest boost in the world and essentially make their company, regardless of if it's kind of a a more intense company or if it's a kind of a passive consumption kind of thing, that is really what's going to create a sticky company within the next 10, 20 years.
0: So if you want to create a sticky company, you know, either become a creator or or part or partner with a creator, you know, right? Oh yeah. I was having a conversation yesterday with Alex Lieberman. He was the he's the co-founder of Morning Brew. Yeah, cool dude. And he shared with me the four types of creator businesses mm-hmm. that he sees, and I'm gonna pull them up, and I want to get your opinion on it and tell me who you think is the most interesting example of each of these buckets. So number one is creator originated. So he writes, a creator has an idea for a business that they believe is authentic to their brand and will resonate with their audience. So what's an example of a creator originated company that you think is really interesting?
1: I guess like Chamberlain Coffee because she talks about coffee so much. I mean, that, that fit makes sense.
0: Okay, Chamberlain Coffee. So can you, for the people that don't know what Chamberlain Coffee is, explain who Emma is and what the brand does.
1: Totally, totally. So Chamberlain Coffee is a direct-to-consumer, now kind of full-sweet beverage brand. Um, they originally started off with making coffee beans and ground coffee, going into mixers and straws, cups, merch, going into the matcha space now. And they're sold currently in very specific retail stores, like in Air One. Um, and kind of now has this California, LA vibe, very carefree. But the originator and the founder of that is a creator named Emma Chamberlain. She She's in her early 20s, and her brand is very authentic, um, and it's built a very cult-following off of her authenticity and realness, she's been seen interviewing celebrities on red carpets and also modeling for a lot of very um, large campaigns. But her love at the moment, and if you consume a lot of her long, long-form long content, a lot of it goes back to her company. Uh, she is very fully invested in, in this coffee brand that is kind of locally sourced and has ethical ways of... Um, kind of creating these beans, but then also kind of sharing this love of coffee that Gen Z kind of has as a part of their identity.
0: And it's a part of Emma's identity too, right? It's super authentic. Like she loves coffee. She's brought coffee into the conversation before she even had the company.
1: Yeah. I mean, almost every blog that she used to make for the past like five years started with her making a cup of coffee in the morning in her kitchen. So it was very natural to see her come out with a bunch of different um, coffee brands. I do wish that she would make more behind-the-scenes content about mm. the company. That's an example. I would eat that up easily as a big yeah. fan.
0: Yeah, cool. Okay, I-, I like that example because it's a mainstream example, which you lose mm-hmm. a couple points, but you gain a couple points because it's an authentic, like, God damn. it's an authentic brand that's getting a lot of traction right now. So I'll so yes. give that. Okay, number two, bucket number two operator originated an operator has an idea for a brand and wants to find a creator to launch with it to have day one distribution two examples of that include ken Austin's alcohol brands good sport
1: yeah if you I'd can support. give me you can deduct points because she's not necessarily a creator maybe a nepotism baby but also our favorite one bella hadid and ken mm. He's a celebrity but I would, I would, I mean, if you talk to me any day, I would say that celebrities and creators is the whole thing. But I will say Kin might be a common answer. But that was my favorite merger um, because it was very unexpected. It was a very hot take. People were like, what is this girl doing getting into this kind of business? Kin is a euphorics drink company. And there's an entire science behind euphorics. It's very herbally based. And basically when you drink this drink, um, it makes you feel kind of relaxed or very excited. Um, there are different levels of herbs and caffeines and different mixture. And there was a toss up really in the past three years of these alternatives to alcohol. And these these a bunch of these different brands popped up. You had House Rip. You had Ken. You had Gia. You have really a, a whole suite of them to a point where now if you go to a lot of different larger cities there are non-alcoholic almost like liquor stores and basically it's a battle of who can get the most attention and i think in my eyes kin is really one and that has been that bella Hadid, who is a very famous model also someone who's gotten a lot of attention from her instagram posts and tiktoks Uh, but mostly she's like one of the most famous models ever right now uh, she decided to become a co-founder of an already existing euphorics drink company called Kent. And it was very controversial because people were like, why? You already make so much money. You don't need to do stuff like this. But it really, when it came down to it, a lot of her interviews said and she was really interested in the business itself, the mission behind kind of taking people off of just drinking alcohol and having alternatives to alcohol. There's a very large wave of younger consumers who don't want to participate in both purchasing and sharing alcohol. Um, so this was a pretty, pretty natural mission alignment where she's very interested in alternative medicine, very interested in wellness. And that is where I think Kin lives. But it was a super interesting toss up. Now you have some alternative alcohol companies that have shut down recently, just because it's it decently... Um, capital-intensive business, but I think probably the most successful one I could think of.
0: Yeah, I think when you're in a space like that where it's a new space and you're trying to define a category, doing so with the creator often makes a lot of sense Mm -hmm. um, because you're educating the market, right? So when you're educating the market, um, hey, like, You shouldn't drink alcohol for these reasons and hey like there's this alternative and it's amazing and when you have an audience of people that already trust you it makes your job a lot easier as Mm -hmm. founders often what we're doing is we're doing two things we're creating a product which is really really hard Mm -hmm. and then we're creating distribution which is really hard the beauty about you know bella in this example is like the distribution's already there she just has to focus on what is the authentic product what does it look like how do i Uh, Co build it essentially with my uh, audience, see how they take it up. And then eventually, how do I get that to retail? How do I get that to other channels? So I like that example a lot. Uh, Bucket number three. Uh, This is an easy one for you. Creator incubated. Creator wants to launch a business, but doesn't know what to launch. Figures out business to launch Mm
1: -hmm. with
0: a partner and then launches it. And the example they use is Feastables, which I think.
1: I was going to say Feastables. Can I just explain what Feastables is and I'll actually give my answer? Yes. Um, okay. Cool. So, Feastables is a company that was incubated out of Night Labs, which is our incubator at Night Media. And that story goes that Mr. Beast kind of—I mean, they're, they're, he has made billions of videos about it, but he was kind of creating this brand for a number of different reasons and wanted to make this large video about becoming Willy Wonka. And um, is very, very interesting. One of the most famous videos that he's he's done so far. But he went to Reed and and Ben and the entire Labs team and was like, I want to make this a sustainable company. So if I put my attention behind it, that it launches properly and it has good quality behind it. And I think what was really frustrating for Mr. Beast in that moment was that the quality of candy and snacks for younger individuals really is not there. And if it is, if there are alternative snacks, it's really the granola mom kind of through um, fru branding that I think a lot of, especially younger guys, just didn't identify with. And so he thought that it was a miss because usually those are decent products that just aren't branded properly or they are branded properly and they're terrible for younger people. So in creating this video, he also incubated this company and happened to find one of the co-founders of Kind Bar, whose name is Jim. And they created this real full suite of almost gamified snacks. So, I mean, Mr. Beast is like a legend because of many different reasons. But one of them is that he just knows how to sell product properly. So he wants to continue really the sweepstakes aspect and uh, all of the community engagement. I can't like spill anything on this podcast, but he wants to keep people engaged with the different launches of snacks and to show off that they have these snacks as a way to engage with his content. That's how I can say it. Um so we call it really gamified snacking, but to anybody listening, he really tried to recreate the Willy Wonka aspect um with this video and also within festivals. So that was an example because he was a creator who was creating content, who just so happened to also create product while creating that content. And um, Knight and Mr. Beast decided to kind of seek out a operating and also previously co-founding professional who knew how to create a massive uh, snack company. And that just happened to be um, very morally adjusted too. So it was really like the happiest union I've ever seen.
0: Here's what I'll say. Here's what I like about it. So I like the idea that snacking is a ritual similar to Emma's Chamberlain coffee. Like you wake – I mean, I woke up in the morning. You're watching this on YouTube. You know, we're recording this in the morning. I pour some coffee. It's like my ritual, right? Um, Snacking is a ritual that a lot of us have. And as a creator, if he can – create like a more creator focused snacking set of rituals and then connect that with his content, which he's shown that he's done with like his Willy Wonka videos, et cetera. It creates this beautiful union around like the content makes the snacks better and the snacks make the content better. So love that example. Uh, Last bucket is number four, creator brokered. So the business already exists and the creator is brought in to accelerate growth. So an example would be aviation gin. So what's an example of basically a business that exists, but the creator comes on board and is basically there just to promote and distribute it?
1: So we also run syndicates at Night Ventures that brings creators into some of the companies that we see or some of the companies that we invest in. And for people kind of listening, that looks like opening an individual investment vehicle where we go around and say, hey. This is why we're going to invest in it. If you want to independ- independently participate and you're not an LP um, and you want to kind of have more of an engaged relationship with the founder, you can essentially angel invest into this um, syndicate and we break off some of the allocation for creators themselves. So that's that's one of the fun things that we haven't really done as much recently, but um, we used to do a lot. Here's the sad thing that I think it's going to stop. Um, all of the examples that I can think of, because I want to say a software product, they're more like creator tooling companies. Let's hear it out for Beacons. Obviously, Elon hates it because LinkedIn Bio is not cool on Twitter, which means it's actually cool in real life.
0: Linktree is a late checkout client, so we're we're, we're we're kind Ooh. of we were homies in the of the beginning of this pod. I'm, kidding. Kind of I'm kidding. We- Beacons is doing great work. I'm, I'm kidding. Go ahead.
1: I'll say before that, I think the war of link in bios is mostly the job that you have. And I think when it comes to creators and personas that want to display media articles, I think Beacons wins. I think if it's like a link tree, it's more geared towards smaller operating businesses. And that just the people that I see mostly using them are more like that, but also creators. So they, they both kind of uh, intersect. And for people who are trying to figure out what I'm talking about, um, these LinkedIn bios are the ones that you click in, in any creator's bio or any really any person's bio. And you see the little drop down of buttons that you can interact to go to either a different social media account, or to go to their businesses themselves. And why it kind of became hot in the creator side is because All these creators really create content on different platforms, but then also they want to collect kind of the higher engagement things like emails or kind of in the future, sell them a product. Um, So there are a lot of them. But Beacon specifically, the reason why they wanted to get involved with Knight is because they wanted to have a lot of angel investors um, that were creators. And I think that in terms of, so I'm kind of doing a little switcheroo on your question. In terms of the best engagement for a founder um, to get with a creator, like if, if you have a creator in mind that you want to work with, I would be open to the idea of them becoming an angel investor because I also have a friend named Nate O'Brien who runs uh, Roadrunner VC, and he is a he is a cheerleader. He is like. You know, all of his, I mean, a lot of his porcos are not creator tooling, but the ones that are, he is very happy to bring into his everyday life and to his content. And I think that it's lame because I think that creators are also very effective in other kinds of businesses. But I think that's also just a founder mindset shift is like, I want to bring in this creator rather than another VC uh, (laughs) to help me with whatever I'm interested in doing.
0: I like it. That was a good one. I like it. That Maybe. was well done. Oh, and it, yes. it's a good segue to my the last thing I wanted to bring up with you, which is, have you heard of subscribe.so? A lot of people here obviously know about affiliate marketing. Mm-hmm. You see it all over social media. Use promo code Greg Eisenberg to get 10% off XYZ product. Yeah. Um, in a creator world. It's, it's getting bigger and bigger because, yeah. of, of course, what's happened with Facebook and iOS 14 and, and just the blockage of, of ad budgets there. People are looking to creators to get their, their products sold. Mm-hmm. There's a new product. This is for people to check out. You can go to subscribe.so. I'm not involved in, 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 in any way. I just thought it was really cool. But it's this idea of pay creators and equity. So I'm mm-hmm. on their website now. Creators bring the audience. Startups bring the equity. We provide the legal, marketing, and budgeting oh, yeah. tools to align incentives for the long-term. Uh, it's a Y Combinator company. And it's this idea that you're rewarding founding creators with equity. And it just, it's a whole dashboard around it. Uh, what do you think of this idea? Yeah, curious.
1: If this is like retro to creators who just so happen to be in your community and are excited about your product, and you want to kind of reward them after their excitement, I think this is a great tool. I would be curious to kind of figure out what the creators themselves think once they, I want to know how much equity they're given. I don't know it. And if it's different than if a creator were to just kind of write a five to $25,000 check into um, a syndicator directly into the company, because there are different workarounds in terms of ownership. And I want to see like what the creator's interests are. So that's, that's one thing the opposite side of the coin is just because a lot of my friends are creators I think that this is something that uh, a lot of them are open to which is great but if it's so if it's not retro and it's really just a founder wants for a creator to interact with them I am very very opinionated on that you should pay the creators that work with you that is to me Number one, um, because I think founders themselves know as much as they're very excited about their company respectfully, these people at the end of the day have bills to pay and they sometimes have families and they need money. So if you want to bring on a creator and have them kind of help you with your marketing or your distribution, you need to pay them, period. And I think that equity is not the alternative to it.
0: Did you see like recently, like maybe... 6 months ago, 4 to 6 months ago, mm-hmm. Shopify employees had this new feature where they can like log into their dashboard and basically say like, "Hey, I get paid $100,000 a year. I actually and I get $10,000 of stock. I'm actually okay getting like do you know, sliding on the scale and saying will I'll take $80,000 but give mm-hmm. me $50,000 a year stock." Mm-hmm. And it allowed the employee to basically shift where you know, how much risk they were willing to take. Mm -hmm. I think what would be really cool here if I'm subscribed is if they can do that with creators and say, like, depending on uh, if you have, you know, if you have a family or you want to take less risk, for example, there should be some slider where it's like, I want some cash and, you know, maybe more equity or more equity and and less cash. But I think the idea of affiliates being 100% cash is not also fair to some of the creators because if you look at mm-hmm. if you look at like some creators who have pushed uh, or promoted companies like um, yeah you know I'm an advisor to Public.com mm-hmm. um, you know they've raised hundreds of millions of dollars I know a lot of creators who you know Public.com has sponsored them those people probably just got cash I would imagine yeah. um, so they weren't able to get the upside of that of that business so I like your opinion my take is. Uh, a slider would be really cool. All right. We are so out of time, but this was really fun. I learned a lot of just about how to think about working with creators, putting yourself in their shoes and uh, some of the opportunities and some hot takes. So thank you so much. M. where could people find you on the internet? I guess Twitter?
1: My Twitter handle is, it's really embarrassing. And I'm showing my age. It is Emily and then Herrera, but the first E is an X
0: great <laughs> it's well Tumblr. at least um, the if ex- you just
1: go to my website if you just go to my website which is just my name emilyherrera.com all the links are already there
0: emilyherrera.com slash one direction
1: oh god that's,
0: you know that's where it, that's where it's at kidding uh no thank you so much give her a follow on twitter it's, it's an excellent follow and and thank you so much for learning about uh creators with us today